This episode of the Bucktails podcast is brought to you by Pistol Creek and Trip Sporting Goods. Pick his head up. Yeah. Look at that. Good deer, babe. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bucktails podcast. This is your host, Eli Self. I have with me DJ Cottrell and Chase Turner. Two guys that are pretty big in this North Georgia area. Chase Turner runs FamTrad Media. He has all the social media outlets. He has a YouTube channel. He shoots big bucks in Metro Atlanta in urban settings. I uh, started following him, I guess, what was it, last year? It came, your uh, channel came out, Chase? Yep. Cool. Uh, and then DJ, a uh, few years older than him in high school, but I've known who he is. We've been kind of acquaintances for a long time. Uh, we both went to Lumpkin County. And uh, his family lives here in, in the town. And he has Cottrell Ranch Outfitters, which is another uh, Instagram page. So we're going to go into talking about kind of where those things started, where do y'all want to see him going, and uh, kind of a curveball here. Chase, uh, how did you get started hunting? So did you start at a very young age? Did you start a few years ago? What is your like hunting origin story? Well, I uh, pretty much I was just raised in it. I pretty much whenever I went up, my dad he was a huge deer hunter. He's kind of moved on more to like stuff now, but he was really deer hunter when I was in diapers. I I don't know when he just got me into it, going club like that. I just found like a I was just fascinated with the wildlife. Went and every time I bring a deer out there messing with it or playing with it, obviously he took me first deer and then just kind of went on from there. And then I deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Now I can't quit doing it. I want to. So. No, Chase, that's awesome. Uh, I can definitely tell you're an experienced hunter from your uh, YouTube channel and the videos I've seen. It looks like you're very successful with it. And it's the pictures that you, you know, I perused through. On social media, you've killed some giants for sure. Uh, DJ, to you, the same question. Um, how, what is your hunting origin story? Um, you know, how'd you get started hunting? Yeah, man, it, it really started whenever I was about five, six years old. Dad, he got this property, and we were sitting on the stand one day, and he was like, man, I'm going to build a house one, one day right here. And he ended up building the house right where we had that stand. and his backyard is just a deer haven. I grew up watching those big deer just roam around his backyard, and he wouldn't let us shoot them. You know, that was that was kind of his thing. He wouldn't let us shoot them in the backyard. But we had to get out and go do it. And uh, that's pretty much where I got started. Uh, nine years old, got my first bow. I actually started bow hunting before I rifle hunted. And uh, 10 years old, got a 243 and killed my first deer with a rifle. Wasn't nothing special, but it was special to me, you know, and that's that's what I, I think about the hunt, you know, about people forget to live the hunt. You know, everybody's all about these big mature deer. You know, if it if it tickles you, take it, you know. You only get that one chance. Yeah, that's something I think that, you know, I love all the content that you see online, all the YouTube channels, all the TV shows. 
But yeah, people have definitely gotten into, uh, man, is this deer old enough? Is this deer big enough for me to shoot? You know, and I've had people ask me that before. I'm like, man, if when it comes out, if you get excited, you need to take it. You know, that's, you know, not really talking about your first year. First year is different, but just anybody hunting in general, you know, the we have gotten too much into the fact of keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, so and so's killing 120, so I need to kill a 120. You know, it's, uh, definitely gotten into that kind of thing of you know a competition and like you said if it makes you happy you know take the take the deer you know absolutely so, no, well, heck yeah man yeah both of y'all have kind of a similar story to me um yeah i started i mean from the time i could sit still and be quiet in a stand you know i've i've been deer hunting we've always been we've had a hunting club down in wilts and i've i grew up taking naps in the bottom of a box stand to hunt with my dad and double stands and you know that's where i've learned to hunt so I, you know it's something that i've always done and you know it's, so kind of a similar story there for both of us uh so chase another question over to you on fam trad media so i i assume that's family traditions is what it looks like but talk about the name the logo kind of where you got started there because i mean there may be some listeners out there that are thinking about starting up their own channel or you know content create content creation deal uh how did you make your logo did you make it did you outsource it uh and then where did the name come from so talk about that a little bit uh so pretty much i've i got into like doing video on my own hunts like a long time ago when i was a lot younger i started out filming like uh i used to race dirt bikes a little bit in high school and i got a video camera to kind of do that well my dad was taking that same video camera and filming deer hunts at the same time and then once i started filming a couple of hunts and stuff like that when i was younger i don't know 13 14 years old maybe a little bit older than that i uh i just kind of fell in love with that side of it so uh i toted a camera around with me forever getting into that you know trying to figure out how to film deer and sell film and stuff like that and then every once in a while we'd have a buddy or two go with me and we'd do it that way and then i don't know i was probably junior in high school i guess i was like we need to make a youtube channel you know so we did but i never had like the right equipment to like get it all exported and edited and all that like i could make a decent video but i never had like a good enough computer to get it onto youtube without it taking a month to get uploaded and all that so i um I had a couple of different little pages back in the day and stuff like that. And then finally, like two years ago, I broke down and just like pretty much sold all my old stuff, computer, camera, everything, bought everything brand new and was like, all right, I'm doing it this time. Like, cause the other ones, they would last for just a little bit. And then we'd get like a video or two posted and it was such like extra work just getting a video uploaded that we all was just like pretty much slowly peter out of it and quit doing it. And then, so like i said i went and bought all new stuff and like really got into it and editing and trying to get everything uploaded the right way and all that stuff so i uh finally just kind of kind of started just kind of treating it like a job you know like if i wanted to make it something one day then i had had to treat it like a job for it to be a job i guess so that was kind of my mindset on it so once i kind of started doing that it just started rolling a lot smoother and plus once i got the right equipment and stuff to do it with it kind of helped out a lot more so but uh but you still got to shoot deer to do that <laughs> so but 
but yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And then the, the name, it was just, like I said, how I got started and stuff. It was always a big family thing for me. I was all the time at deer camp with my dad, my papa and family and friends and stuff like that. So it was kind of brought down to me as a family tradition. So I kind of come up with that name and then just kind of shortened it into fam trad. So it went from there. And then my logo, I, I kind of just like drew it on a piece of notebook paper and then, uh, I never could figure out how to make it like really pretty. So <laughs> I got another guy to doctor it up for me. And that's what we come up with. So, cause we're mainly deer hunters, but we, once March rolls around, we're in the Turkey woods somewhere. We, we chase turkeys pretty hard also. So. Oh, lost you there. My internet crapped out. No, you Sorry good. guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm back <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah lovely yeah up here in delano windstream we all three got oh it <laughs> Golly. if there was another word another place to go through you guaranteed i'd had have it oh heck um, yeah i'm sure we all would right yeah i think we get 15 megabits per second and most of the time it's more like four so right oh well but no what i'm saying is uh you're and i love the name it makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense you know keeps it close to home it's a cool looking logo and that's and then in this and this kind of stuff like i made my logo on powerpoint i right. drug a drug a hexagon in and made a bunch of shapes and it kind of worked out you know but yeah. uh like i was just tinkering with it one day i'm like well dang that looks pretty cool so here we are Thank but you. uh yeah and you said something in there too you know you've got to kill deer to make it happen and that's uh i'm sure that's an added stress i've uh I've done, I haven't never really made a fishing YouTube or anything like that, but I do a tournament bass fish and I've tried to make videos here and there, uh, on the water fishing. And, you know, it's with that, you can have three or four hours of absolutely nothing. And then all of a sudden you'll catch three or four or five, you know, and it would make a good video, but mm. it's those days where I don't have a tripod or don't have a mount. And I'm like, well, it'd be good time to have a video right now, but I don't have my crap with me. And if I ever bring it, then they're not biting good, you know? But no, that's definitely, I'm sure it's an added stress for you. Um, like you've got to kill deer to have content. I mean, sometimes though, the, uh, the heartbreak stories are the ones where it don't, it doesn't work out. Heck those sometimes are just as good. I mean, you could, you learn okay. from it, the viewers, you'll learn from it. So no, heck yeah. So DJ, I mean, you talked a little bit before we uh, started recording here about Cottrell Ranch Outfitters, but, uh, yeah, talk a little bit about, like, what is it? What all are you wanting to do? What all do you do now? Because I've seen, I saw posts about uh, bow fishing back in the summertime. I know you've taken a couple of trips out west this year and killed some animals. Um, so, yeah, how did you get that started, and kind of where do you want to see it go? Yeah, man, it, it kind of all started with just a, a drunk night one night, and I started drawing up my, my family's brand and just adding – antlers to it and then i added ducks around it one night and i was like man this actually looks good and one day i'm gonna take it somewhere right now it's it's really got nowhere it's it's gonna be something one day though uh we've talked about doing some bow fishing charters on lanier and chatoog uh talked about maybe one day doing some guided hunts on the farm uh lifestyle brand you know doing a processor we, we've talked about all kinds of stuff it's just all in the works right now though I gotcha. Yeah, uh, that's something that you don't hear a lot of is a bow fishing charter. 
Um, I'm sure people do it on Lanier, but most of the time it's a striper guide or a spotted bass, you know, bass fishing guide. Um, I know I haven't, I don't know of many other, you know, bow fishing guides locally. So that'd be a pretty neat deal to get into for sure. Um, yeah, you know, a smaller market. Seems like something that would yeah, take that's off something sure. that not like some people do it, but not a lot of people have. I feel like that would be a pretty neat thing to get into. Like I said, it's a smaller market. Uh, I mean, you pretty much have the market share, you know, if you were to get into that. So, heck yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, Absolutely. Uh, back to you, Chase. Uh, what is your goal for Fam Trader? Now, I know you made YouTube videos. Are you wanting to? I mean, I, I'm sure that may be your goal to make it a full time thing, or you know, what what direction do you want to see it go, or do you want to keep it kind of? You want to keep your keep your day job, you know, still have time for family, that kind of stuff, because I'm sure that kind of that'll cut into family time trying to be out in the woods all the time hunting. So, what what do you where do you want to see it go? Your fam trad. I'd like to make it a full-time deal one day. I mean, that's the, that's the dream at least. I mean, I've had, I've, like I said, I've been videoing and hunting obviously my whole life pretty much and then got into videoing a little bit later on, but I've always had the passion for just making cool videos and, and stuff like that. And then now that like I see that I can make like a decent episode and people can watch it and helps a lot when you have, you know, feedback on it and people are saying, Hey man, like really like that did a good job on this one and stuff like that it, it makes you keep wanting to make more so i mean once you see people that like it it makes you want to do it even more and then so i mean that's kind of my plan for it just to see if i can take it full time and keep on going with it that's the that's the dream i'm chasing at least if it doesn't work out i'll do it part-time i mean it's not like if the whole thing shuts down tomorrow i'll still be i'll still be filming deer hunts whether it goes anywhere or not but the but the end goal is to try to make it full time one day. I'd, I'd really like to. I'd like to travel around and hunt and kind of make some money off of that, just enough to buy tags and and feed the family and stuff like that. And my wife works also, and so do that. And then we sell a little bit of merch and stuff like that, and make it a brand slash YouTube. You know, to where people can watch it and support us and stuff like that. So. No, good deal. Um, I know me personally, I love watching your stuff because I know it's local. I know you did you go to Dawson or Forsyth? Where did you go to high school? I went to North and Dawson. Gotcha. Yeah. So relatively local to, you know, both we we're both from Dahlonega. But anytime you see something like the North Georgia area and see, you know, a high quality video, because your videos look great now. I'm not sure what camera you have, but it's crystal clear. Editing is good. Um yeah, it's a well done video because there are some, there are a few other smaller, you know, YouTube channels that are out there from guys that are local. And you can tell mm -hmm. that it's, you know, more thrown together and it's not knocking them, but you can just tell right. when it's a higher, higher quality product, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, definitely enjoy watching your videos, especially like I said, it's local guys that, you know, kind of know through the grapevine, heard of you before, heard your name before, that kind of stuff. So to seeing that kind of stuff go down is, is really awesome. So kudos to your videos and your editing. I mean, it's like I said, it's high quality stuff. So uh, I hope that hope that helps you out there. <laughs> a little bit of a feedback or review from me. Yeah, man. Yeah. And that's like I've you know started this podcast really just uh, mainly to tell stories. Like I was telling y'all earlier, the pod, I started to tell stories of guys who don't film hunts and want to have a way to encapsulate it. Like I uh, recorded Tyler Trammell earlier this year. Earlier this year. 
And he said it'd be a really neat story because he's got a little one uh, going to be here very soon or either just had it. Um, I think I think it's, they have a little a baby on the way. But uh, he said he's really excited to get to you know share this story, the recorded audio, the video, and everything on YouTube. He'll get to show it with him forever, you know. Right. Um, right. But no, that's so that's that's been really neat to get to dive into that, you know, kind of see how how people do and you know trying to get feedback on that and some people like it and you know I don't have a lot of followers or anything yet but you know so far the feedback's been good so I know feedback definitely helps oh yeah um so back to you DJ I know you've taken a couple of trips out west this year so far um where have you been what have you killed any crazy stories happen any flat tires anything wild uh I, I know if you go if you go across the country 12 times out of 10, something's going to happen that's story worthy. So what, how, how have those trips gone? Yeah, man. Uh, the first one that we took actually me and chase took was, uh, New Mexico went on the elk hunt. That was kind of sporadic. Uh, <laughs> out of the blue chase hit me up one day and was like, yo, there's, a, there's an elk hunt for cheap. Both pitched in, we rolled with it. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know how how we made it back because that was the most sporadic thing that we've ever done in our life. But uh, it was it was fun. It was fun. We had, we had a good time with it. Uh, passed up, actually chases up like twenty yards. Could have shot him fifteen different times, but I passed him up. I was like, man, I I want Chase to get one more than I want to get one. And he he flipped around. The guy did a little cow call did a little elk bugle and i mean he was ready to fight chase he come right up in his lap chase smoked him that was uh that was a pretty good story uh, pretty pretty good trip uh had, had a lot of fun on that one uh texas <laughs> texas was another crazy crazy adventure six miles from the border <laughs> went down there shot an axis deer all that uh, two bucket list animals that I've had for a while. Uh, that that was that was a different different store, different time. <laughs> a lot a lot of Modelo's drink on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Chase, what was your since you killed the elk, Chase? Tell me a little bit about your uh, your experience, kind of how that went. Uh. <laughs> Well, first of all, me and DJ planned a week-long elk trip in Mexico in under two weeks. <laughs> so, luckily to have friends like him, I texted him, told him about it, and he's like, let's go now. Like, <laughs> he texted me three or four days afterwards, like, let's go. When we, when we leave, and like, let's go, let's go. And uh, there's not many people that'll do that with you. And I'm kind of, I love stuff like that, like that last-minute ordeal, hop on a plane, go somewhere, nothing on the mind, but let's hunt and 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 be successful with it. And we did, man, we, we hopped on a plane and went out there and shoot it. I mean, even if I didn't shoot one, luckily enough, I got a friend like DJ, he actually passed the elk up and let me shoot him. But, but, uh, like I said, even if, I mean, even if neither of us killed, we still had a heck of a time in it. We had a good guide out there and, uh, it was a, it's a different world out there. DJ can vouch for that. It's completely different than here. So me and him with both in like, outer space for a week and <laughs> but it was a uh it was a dang good time yeah no it's definitely definitely good to have friends like that where you can say hey man you want to go uh to mexico tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh no that's that's wild 
I'm sure y'all were running around like crazy, throwing stuff in the truck. May have had bags, and it may not have had bags. But uh, no, that's hilarious. Um, so on your elk, I think we was more worried about getting through customs at the airport. Was anything? <laughs> yeah, camera cases, bow cases. <laughs> oh, they, they flagged us for everything going through that thing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I've I've flown with a rifle. Or, well, it was a shotgun one time. Went up to Wisconsin on a bear hunt, and I know that was an ordeal. That was, heck, I forget what year that was. 07, maybe? But, so that was before. Well, that was, I mean, customs were still a pain, but no, flying with any kind of weapon, golly. It adds, yeah. to, the, adds to the struggle of flying. Yep. So, Chase, uh, talk about your elk. How big was it? Was it five by five, five by six? What was it? Uh. Talk, tell, talk me to that. Talk me through that hunt a little bit. So we'd been kind of, uh, we'd been kind of hunting for three, three or four days. Uh, th- was it the third day, DJ? Third. Yeah, we we'd been hunting every morning and then hunting every evening, sitting on. We was kind of, just kind of sitting on water holes and stuff at, in the evening time, and uh, we in the morning times they were like they were just getting just getting heated up, I guess, out there. I mean, they was bugling and stuff like that, but they were just weren't, like, sure enough ready to break and come to a call, you know, like like a hot turkey would or something. But And then uh, that evening, it was just like a light switch, I guess. We sat down on a water hole and that we hadn't even been to yet, and we hadn't been sitting there maybe five minutes, and one bugled behind me. And then maybe a minute after that, another one bugles across the – pond for me which is on dj's side and shoot it wasn't five minutes i don't think i looked up and he was coming off the ridge over there and he went the first time i seen him he was like maybe 25 yards from dj and he's just sitting there and he's like pointing at me telling me to shoot him and i was like no, no, like you shoot him. so finally the i don't know if the wind swirled or what he got a little squirrely and kind of ran but when he ran he ran to my side of the pond and like jumped over this little bank or whatever. And then the guide, like, so it was me here, DJ here. And then the guide was backed up in between both of us. So when he bugled, the elk come running, he had to run by me to figure out where the call was coming from. Well, when he did that, I had to stop him. And uh, I ended up stopping him at like eight or 10 yards and shot him right there. And he ran probably, I don't know, 80, 100 yards maybe. And... It was party on after that. <laughs> Tailgate parties for days. Yeah. No, that's crazy, man. To see it, like, I'm, I know elk are big, but I feel like that's an animal, when you see it in person, you'd be like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, bigger than a cow. I mean, you know, we, you've seen cows around here in North Georgia, but see, see an elk that close, I'm sure it had to look like prehistoric, like a dinosaur, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a different um, feel, sure. Yeah, and then uh, I, I mean, that's a blessing for that deer to only, or that elk to only run eighty or hundred yards. I've heard of stories yes. of people shooting an elk and it runs three, four hundred yards. I mean, <coughs> I mean, heck, I watch tell deer with a good shot can run a long ways. So I can only imagine mm-hmm. an elk, you know, lucky to get a pass through. I mean, hopefully you do. But if you don't get a pass through, it's going to be tougher to track, and they're going to run through. I mean, no yep. telling how long you can track them. So, no, that's awesome. They didn't have to track them that long. 
And I'm sure I'm sure y'all are celebrating like crazy for it to come together last minute, plan it last minute, hightail mm-hmm. it out there. Man, I'm sure I'm sure y'all were on cloud nine. Oh, we was celebrating like crazy because he didn't go off the bluff. He was about to go off of boy. We've yeah. been out there two days packing him out. Yeah. Yeah. He had about maybe five steps and he went off the side of a mountain and we'd probably still be there packing him out. <laughs> <laughs> So did y'all use horses or four wheelers or anything to pack them out or was it all foot? Yeah, luckily we luckily the place we was at they had four wheelers, so luckily we could get a four wheeler too. And so we had to uh we dressed him out right there, gutted him out and we got him on the back of a four wheeler and uh we flipped it what three times getting him to oh, yeah. and got him out finally. It was, it was still a process. It wasn't as hard as actually packing them out, but it was still a process for sure. <laughs> yeah, Hell, that's the effort. Did y'all flip it on top of anybody, or uh, or how did the flipping go? <laughs> I mean, I got swung about 15 yards, that's about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd have that elk, they would all just put like the two front feet on head so it's pretty much just riding a wheeler so anytime weight shifts the whole four-wheeler turns with it and dj's on one fender i'm on the other then the guy's driving it so <laughs> you hit one root ball and it's like somebody's going that way and somebody's going that way <laughs> well I'm sh- it got western <laughs> i'm sure well, I bet the suspension was bottomed out, so it's going to bounce even worse if you hit anything. I bet, I bet that was a sight to see. Did you ever get that oh, any, yeah. any of that on video? Uh, I don't know how much video we got of that whole process. I don't think we got a little bit of it on video, I think, but more than less, I think uh, because we was trying to get it done before dark and bears and like when, like when I shot him and we got to him, we had to go back out and get the four-wheeler or whatever, and we had to lay. Our guide literally told us, he's like, if you have extra clothes, like lay them on top of him and pee right here somewhere close by because if you don't, like we'll get back and mountain lions or barrel have him drug off. So we was trying to we was trying to get him out of there before dark time comes. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And that's, uh, you know, and y'all know this as good as anybody. Once you kill the deer, the fun begins. Or once you kill game, anything, you know, the fun begins. But, yeah, that sounds like uh, sounds like that was the uh, meaning of the word fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you see the guys on YouTube that are whatever, you hear a story about someone killing an elk, and they have to pack it out, three or four people on their backs. I mean, that's – that right there would suck. So, thankfully, I had a four-wheeler, but uh, yeah. glad y'all made it back in one piece. Yeah, <laughs> even if you did it a few times, <laughs> barely, you made it back. But uh, everything's gonna have its challenge for sure. But <laughs> so we all staying at like a. So you said it was a guided service. We all like in a lodge or you know pretty nice setup there. Yeah, we were staying in a tent on a cot, about twenty-seven degrees, snowing one night. <laughs> it was it was a different ball game. Different yeah. ball game, what, what I thought it was. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, so we had like a base camp, like here, and we would eat lunch. We would eat lunch there, and then while we was there, 
they they had a camp cook. He would cook our supper for that night and our breakfast for the next morning. So we would go back, we would leave base camp, go hunt, and then we would go back to our tents, which was like 20 minutes, 30 minutes away from the base camp, which was just two tents. And we would eat, we would hunt that evening, go back to our tents. We would eat dinner there, wake up the next morning. We'd warm our breakfast up there. And then we'd hunt that morning. And then when we'd go back to our tents, we'd kind of shed some layers, put our bows up, and then we would go back to the base camp and do it over or whatever. So, but like where we stayed, like DJ said, we just had like two wall tents, two cots, and we had a kerosene heater in there, but you couldn't leave it on too long or you'd be, you'd look like Willie Nelson walking out of it the next morning. You say hi. <laughs> no, yeah, that sounds like a, a good experience. I'm sure y'all are stronger men for it. For staying in a tent in the 27 degrees and can't leave a heater on because you might die or get high. <laughs> no, that's funny. Yeah, it was a it was definitely experience. So like like the first night, I remember we was laying there, and we're me and DJ. The first night, we're kind of worried about that whole altitude sickness thing and all that. So it's like two or three o'clock in the morning. And I just hear like Chase, Chase. So I like wake up freaking out. <laughs> He's like, you hear that? I'm like, what's up? And he's like, elk bugling right outside the tent. It's like, man, him being from Georgia, we've never heard of elk, like a real elk bugle, you know? So we get out of the tent, we're standing outside, and the guide, he's like a uh, like Mexican cowboy pretty much that lives out there. And he's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, Waylon, you hear that elk bugling out here? He's like, yeah, they do it every night. Like, go back to bed. <laughs> but me and him were like freaking out, you know, because we've never. We've never seen it, so. <laughs> but just stuff like that, you know, it's just different to us. But normal, so normal. Like, what is wrong with these rednecks? <laughs> no, that's funny. I can I can imagine a Mexican cowboy, and they're like, "What do you? They, they do it every night. Go back to bed. You're fine. Like, you're gonna be okay. I promise." <laughs> Uh, this guy was no joke, man. <laughs> he, he was off the charts. He's ten out of ten guys on the southern shore. Good lord. So did the, you said it, they weren't quite at the height or the peak of you know being able to be called in? But did y'all get to hear a good bit of bugling while y'all were hunting, or like were they pretty receptive, or was it kind of a slow slower deal? What would you say, DJ? I mean, we heard a decent amount of bugling, I guess, but it never it never got like super crazy. I mean, compared to what you see on TV, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't hot yet. I'd say we was about a week, two weeks early. Yeah, uh, I I can only imagine what happened on that mountainside whenever he left. Yeah, I I can only imagine because the weather the weather was changing just constantly i mean we had 90 degree middays we had 20 degree nights you know it was it, it was about to hit it was yep. just a matter of seconds it just wasn't our time yet as as far as that goes you know chasey mm -hmm. he got one off a call but that's really about it and we had we had a second one that night that same night coming in but it wasn't I, I wouldn't say it was like what you would see on tv right yeah well and that's especially y'all planning it last minute i'm sure it's tough to hit it right you know because mm -hmm. you know that's uh i mean it, in georgia 
they'll rut about the same week every year or, you know, same span of a couple of days. But year to year, it can also vary, you know. And I've never elk hunted. You know, I've heard heard stories be told. I've, like you said, I've, we've watched it on TV or YouTube before. But I'm sure there's a certain peak you want to hit. And, you know, it's, it's probably a coin flip whether or not you hit it or not. And that's, you know, not like you can – it's not like driving down to Gainesville. You know, you're hopping on a plane flying to right. mexico so it's not it's not like you're like oh we'll just come back next week no, no big deal <laughs> yeah. you know a little bit a little bit a little different not sure if y'all would want to given the uh the tent and almost dying on a four-wheeler but uh, <laughs> i mean mission accomplished but right. i'm glad to be alive if if a man had about four weeks to spend out there it'd be worth it all yeah. day long yeah yeah. Now we've done that. We took a trip over to Lake Gunnersville to fish one time. It was for my bachelor party, actually. And uh, it was in July. So we went over there expecting the best summertime fishing, deep cranking. Thought it was going to be lots out. But it was unseasonably hot, and it was not a great trip. I mean, we had a good time for sure. But, uh, no, the fishing was not what we thought it was going to be. But and that's like like you said, if if you had if you could spend two weeks or three weeks or whatever in a place, you could probably hit it right. You know, pick that one one good window. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, sounds like that's a trip you'll always remember. Hopefully, y'all did get a little bit of video from it, and I'm sure y'all. I mean, I'm sure y'all will have stories to tell, even more than what you've already told or what you can tell legally on this uh, podcast. <laughs> but uh. I'm sure you'll have some great stories to share uh, for a long time for that. So that's awesome. Um, so talking to talking about upcoming trips and y'all, y'all took the elk trip together. So that sounds like a great time. Y'all have any upcoming trips together y'all are taking, or is that y'all have anything else planned yet? Or is it going to be another, you know, three days later? Hey, let's run to, uh, <laughs> let's run to Ohio real quick. I'm hoping Chase will hook me up on a good duck hunt. That dog back there, she, she's worth us right now. She's ready to go work. Yeah, I I don't have anything in plans right now, which I'm kind of not old PTO. I was already at work before the whole elk trip, but I don't went negative for that. So I burned PTO to go on that trip. I'm trying to build it up right now. But if I if I end up uh, tagging out in Georgia in the next couple of weeks, then I may end up taking like a late late weekend trip or something like that going hunting some public somewhere or something like that maybe but and then me and dj we've talked about maybe going duck hunting for a weekend or something like that in later season so there's no telling i'm i'm a super last minute like that new mexico trip wasn't my first last minute ordeal i'm super i'll get on my phone and see somebody and illinois that killed a big deer and it just looked cool and then next thing i know i'm on google searching how do i go to illinois this weekend and i'll go up there for two or three days so (laughs) i'm probably the world's worst about it honestly (laughs) so there that question now there really isn't no telling but as of right now there's nothing in the books (laughs) gotcha well hey sometimes those last minute plans are the best ones it sounds like that ended up pretty good for y'all so (laughs) Maybe that's how y'all should do it. Like, no, we're not right. making any long range plans. We plan less than a week tops. Yep. <laughs> no, but that's awesome. Um, I guess the last topic we can, uh, or not the last one, but a topic I wanted to bring up to both of y'all. I don't, I don't know how much urban hunting you've done, DJ. I know I haven't done many, done much at all. 
you know, I hunt, I hunt in Lumpkin and Wilkes pretty much. I've been on a few trips out of state, but most of mine is rural, you know, big private pieces. Um, I want to talk about, especially with the rut coming up, what differences do you see, Chase, in hunting an urban setting like down Alpharetta, Roswell, something like that, Metro Atlanta, you know, down when there's a lot, a lot higher population density of people versus rural. So do you, how do you hunt it differently? Is it kind of the same? I mean, do the deer act the same or is it, you know, what, what, what factors kind of come in there? Um, urban versus rural hunting the rut. Uh, I mean, during the rut, I usually kind of study, I try to study like main thing in suburbs. And if I was hunting like around here, bigger woods or something like that out during the rut, I usually like always try to study creeks and stuff like that, or like, uh, big sewer easements or fields or, something that's pretty open, you know, where deer can run it and, and travel up it, you know, like even if I was hunting a thousand acres, I'd try to find big Creek junction or something like that. You know, I mean, I just like hunting big Creek bottoms like that. And I know bucks will travel and, uh, I do the same thing down there. I mean, like this week, this past weekend, I hunted that public hunt right here next to the house, the Dawson forest rifle hunt they have. And I haven't hunted it in years. And I just kind of got on the map and found a few Creek bottoms and, uh, creeks that had run into the river and we just kind of set up on those we didn't have any luck we found a pretty good bit of sign and some other spots and stuff like that but like the suburb hunting it's pretty much the same thing like a lot of times i'll try to just like pretty much just block out the houses when i'm looking at a map and act like it is big like if the house wasn't there just treated as woods was there you know and just just kind of run with it that way which you kind of got to you know the way it's laid out down there you know you get in the back side of a neighborhood and there's 40 houses and one strip of woods that run through it and the only reason that strip of woods don't have houses on it is because of creeks there and they couldn't build on it so i find myself on a creek a pretty good bit whether i knew it was there or didn't know it was there you know what i mean yeah no that makes perfect sense that's something that uh i haven't heard many people say and i'm sure people do say it but uh yeah, something I look I look for too is wide open woods because you know, uh, being able to shoot at a deer that's running full speed. You know, if you're in a thicket or hunting a nice thick area and he runs by you, you're like, oh, well, that there there was a nice buck. He's gone. You know, he's you know yeah. he's gone forever. Right. Um. So yeah, something definitely I think is important for people. Find a spot where you've got open shots. You know, be around water, like you said. Be where the bucks are already going to be. You know, or if you've got does in a certain area, and it, like you said, creek bottoms is a great way to do it. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I don't. I've never really focused a lot on creek bottoms. You know, on our hunting club in Wilkes, it's a we're on fifteen hundred acres, and we have thirteen or fourteen paying members or you know families that hunt it. And so we have kind of our primary areas that we always hunt. And down there, and this is, you know, two hours south, so it's a little bit different, you know, wood makeup. It's not all, all hardwoods, but we do have some great hardwood flats. And what I've noticed is I'll, I like to hunt the edges of where the pines and oaks, you know, will blend. Because those bucks down there, they'll travel the creek bottoms, but they like to also travel in the pines a lot just because it's quieter. They can, they can move around easier. I mean, I, I, and I feel like the pine needles, you know, absorb sound a lot. So it's, it's just quiet, you know, so they can, they can travel undetected. Oh um, yeah. For sure. So that's, so I mean, and I'm sure there's some pines and whatnot on Dawson forest, but that's something that I like to do is find the transition. Like same, I think wild game in general, fishing, hunting, you know, bass fishing, 
transitions are a good area. If the rock goes from big, you know, slab rock to chunk rock or chunk rock to pea gravel, that's a good place to be. And mm-hmm. then deer, you know, if it's a some kind of a transition area is what I like to be there too. DJ, what about you? I know you hunt your parents' property or your family property, the farm up up here in Delonaga, and y'all got a good bit of land. Um, what is your and up here it's usually Thanksgiving week when they'll start rutting. Uh, what is your game plan? Like if it was Thanksgiving morning or you know that week of Thanksgiving, what would you be doing tomorrow? Yeah, man, we got two ways of doing it. Uh, you know, my my buddy Braxton that he hunts with me constantly. He's been hunting with me since I was 14 years old. He he loves open hardwood ridges. I'm the exact opposite. I love to get in the fields. I love to get in between food sources. I love to watch those does that are trying to get food and the bucks chasing after them. And they'll just they'll run slap through them fields and you know, that that's kind of my game plan. I I got one spot that I'm probably going to hunt the whole week <laughs> out of 2,300 acres. So I, I'm, I'm sad. I, as long as I got a field, I'm good. Yeah. My, uh, my grandmother has some property up here in Lumpkin and there's some pastures and I know there's a, there's a very sweet couple of days where those bucks will get out there chasing the does in the pasture. It doesn't happen the whole week. You know, there'll be bucks on the property that move through the travel through but like you said, there's a sweet spot, and I, I haven't hit it good, quite yet. I've had some good hunts where I've seen, you know, 20, 30, 40 deer and a lot of small bucks chasing, but I haven't had that night. Like, like for example, back when I was in college, I got so mad. I was in an 8 a.m. math class, and a buddy of mine texted me, or he, I think he may have called me, then he texted me after, and he said hey, I just drove by your grandma's house and there's a giant buck out there chasing a bunch of does. You know, I'm in class. I packed up my stuff and ran out the room. Like, I was like, hey, I'm not feeling I'm not feeling good. I got to go. And of course, yeah. by the time I got there, by the time I got there, you know, buck was already gone. I was I, I was at UNG in Delonaga and she lives in Delonaga too. But yeah, that's happened to me that year a couple of times actually that week. You know, I was in class and people called me and said, hey, I saw a nice buck crossing the road at your grandma's house. I'm like, well, appreciate it. <laughs> did you tie them up for me but yeah. uh but no those pastures can be a lot of fun but i know on on the property that i hunt it there's usually a sweet spot of a couple of days where they'll do it pretty good yeah but shoot yeah yeah like you said man i just i hunt the does you know as long as i got good good amount of does traveling where i want to hunt you know that's yeah. where i'm that's where i'm gonna be you know one of them's gonna be hot one of them's gonna get a good buck in yeah that's them the free decoys that's right. <laughs> well, and I, I tell you, and you'll go ahead. I was just saying, I say free decoys, but they're not too free after you feed them all year and do all that crap. Yeah, it costs money to keep those things around. But uh, yeah, yeah. we can talk about hunting over bait here in a minute, and that's you know a hot, not really a hot topic, but uh, something that. I think now now people are figuring out how to do it and how it's and people are being very successful with it. But um, no, I had something else I was going to say and I lost my train of thought. If I can think of it again. No, that's what 30 does to you. But no, we'll go ahead and talk about bait. Um, but yeah, hunting over bait, uh, I talk about this with a guy that I work with a good bit about how it changes it literally changes the dam- the dynamics of a property in like you know this is for the people that feed year round 
So there's a guy that I work with who has land in, I think, Hancock County. And he's got a gravity feeder that he puts. It's like a six or 700-pound feeder. It's a, it's a gigantic feeder. And he goes down every few weeks and feeds it up, you know, no telling how much money he spent. And he feeds corn, protein. It's, it's like a dietary program. He's got them on. And, uh, you know, the first year or two that he fed, they ended up, like he said, man, not, a lot of a lot of does, a lot of small bucks. You know, he wasn't seeing the good ones, you know. And, and you know, people on bordering properties were still killing good ones. And now he's probably four years into feeding, you know, year-round consistently. And he's got, I mean, he, he's already killed a good buck. I'll, I'll be interviewing him on here uh, in the next few weeks. He killed it. I think it ended up being just a seven-pointer, but he had to be 19 inches wide, probably four and a half, five-inch bases. I mean, it, it was an ancient deer, just a gigantic buck. And he had, he's probably got, three or four other shooters that are coming in in the daylight to that stand all the time. Uh, and me and him got to talking and we're like, those bucks were literally raised on the bait. You know, when you feed three or four years consistently, those like since the time they were a fawn, that feeder is not odd to them. Now yep. they're like, that's an acre. That's like a corn tree. And it, it produces corn all year long. I mean, that's something that I've noticed the consistent feeding definitely I mean, it, you still have to hunt. It's not like it's shooting fish in a barrel by any means. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely uh, changed the dynamics of hunting. And uh, what do y'all do – have y'all experienced that same kind of thing if you feed consistently? Um, have y'all seen that before? Yeah, I I have for sure. Like, the whole suburban thing down there, you know, it's not – like, it, it changes a lot down there because, you know, like, say you got two neighborhoods here, and you can only hunt this one strip in the back back here. Got a strip that runs off of it this way, like. And this patch up here goes into like a big, a hole of nothing, you know. Don't it don't have any oak trees or anything. Couldn't get permission on any of these where the deer actually travel already on their own. But you could get permission up here, like. They have no reason to go up there unless you do have feet up there, you know. I've noticed. I've noticed it that you know, like getting spots down there it, it helps a lot doing that but then at the same time it can hurt you like a mature deer that just want absolutely nothing to do with a corn pile and then but like i said you have those small blocks that you can't really that's about all you can do on feed you know they don't have a deer don't have a reason to go over there unless there is food out there and stuff like that so it's like that deer that shot last week or whenever two weeks ago man he come in and he was a mature deer he was the most mature deer in there and i i hadn't had a single daylight picture of that deer at all and then that friday morning i was at work and he popped up on the cell camera he was in like 8 30. i was like what the heck man so i shot out work you know went down there and i'm pretty sure i knew where he was long story short and when he come in that evening he stood like 60 70 yards from if y'all watch the video it'll probably next week but you see him stands like 67 yards from the corner he just stood there for probably i don't know two or three minutes and just stared at it never moved never nothing you know he was just sure enough like slowly slowly checking it out and when he finally did commit and come in there he comes in and i didn't know it but i had a doe below me and 
she actually had pinned me down and I didn't know it. Like as soon as I was about to draw, she blows. And it wasn't, I'm talking, it wasn't even a second. He turned around and shot out of there. Like, I mean, you couldn't even see him running. He was running so fast. And just luckily, I think I had so many deer on me that evening that he, I think he almost like scared himself. So he got down there and I think, and I could be totally wrong on this, but I think he kind of got down there and was like, all right, maybe it was nothing because there's deer still like standing up there or whatever. So he slowly come back in and that's when I shot him the second time. But, but that kind of got off subject there. But like what I was saying is he come in and he just like stared that corn pile down, you know, like he just knew it wasn't normal. And that's the first, that's the first, this is the first year I've hunted that, that place. I've never, I don't think feed has ever been put on it because all the doors that I've asked knocked on and try to get permission and stuff on, like you could tell nobody's ever really hunted in there unless it was being poached or something, you know? So I don't think those deer had seen that much corn and stuff like that. You could tell he, it wasn't his, it was his, I'm not going to say first rodeo, but he was not used to that being there. And I don't know. You could just, you could tell it wasn't normal to him, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's another uh, another dynamic to all this too. Is like you said, if it's your first time feeding on a piece of property, uh, those deer are definitely going to be a little bit more skittish, a little bit more on edge, you know, because they know it's not natural. And I feel like I feel like deer do know that. I mean, I feel like we don't give deer enough credit. A lot of times, is they have like a sixth sense. Uh, I I don't know if they can like sense you there or if it's just. I mean, I mean, obviously their noses are are insane. Oh um, yeah. But I feel like I feel like deer know if it's not natural. And like I said, until you've been feeding a spot for three, four plus years, then and at that point those bucks are like, okay, that's natural. That's been there for a long time. Since right. they were born, you know. But you know, that's a, that's an inter- interesting dynamic I didn't really think about in the urban setting, you know, hunting the suburbs or the uh, neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, is that if there's not any food in the area or like if you get if you door knock and have a decent block of woods, but there's not great food, like mm-hmm. why else would they be coming in there except for corn? So right. that's 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 pretty interesting. And then two, right. I, I feel like that simulates. You know, I've listened to uh, the MSU Deer Lab, their podcast a good bit, and they they've done studies where they simulate you know a full mast year on certain oak trees, where they'll you know if it's a, if it's a year where the acorns are not falling like crazy. Mm-hmm. They will, uh, you know, take and plant, not plant, but they'll pour out, you know, bukus of acorns under that tree as if it's, you know, an insane, insanely heavy acorn year. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's kind of what you're doing in those areas because there's obviously not as not as much woods as you know a big wooded area because there's houses, right. and you know, so a lot of a lot of the oak trees have been cut down. So literally, you're adding in, you know, pounds of food or you know mm-hmm. you know pounds per acre however you want to break that down you're adding in food and nutrients to them so that's uh that's a pretty neat deal right uh, that's like what you were saying like it ain't natural or what like the way i've always looked at it is you know you get like a short enough mature deer in there and he's and it's pretty much like like tonight if you was to come home into your house you got off of work today you come home and there was a plate sitting in the middle of your living room that had filet mignon on it and a baked potato and a mac and cheese and a slice of cornbread sitting there it would be all you know it's not natural you know just sitting in the middle of the floor there and you know he's lived there his whole life and all of a sudden he comes in one day and there's a hundred pounds of yellow acorns laying on the ground he's gonna be like well, all right now like this ain't this ain't real right you know 
he eventually I think about all deer eventually they just can't resist I think they just they're eventually going to go up there and eat it whether it be three o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the evening that's the whole different ball game but that uh it definitely makes a difference I think no for sure uh DJ how about you do you uh do you feed year-round on your farm or do you do kind of just during the season or how do you do it there yeah man it it started off seasonal uh about two years ago we started doing it year round uh, straight straight corn to begin with and then uh this year we, we switched to corn and protein uh started bag feeding figured out real quick that that was not the way to go and we, we had to get some feeders out and put some feeders out uh i'd say probably i don't know three four months ago uh got those feeders out and man they those deer they just demolished like they're addicted to it it's like that protein pellets are just cracked of them they just hammer it every chance they can uh, another issue that we've come about is the bears uh got a big big issue with the bears i'd say i'd probably had at least 20 different bears over the summer uh right now I've, I've narrowed it down to two not not illegally they, they've just migrated out uh but uh we still we've, we've got an issue with them they'll come back around come about spring and uh yeah ho- hopefully hopefully us and the dnr can get together and figure out that situation because it's bad it's bad, you know. You waste a lot of money, a lot of time. Uh, you know, your feeders. Uh, let's just say your feeders cost six, seven hundred dollars a piece. And you got ten of them out there, and they all get wrecked by a bear in a freaking spring. You know, that's that's not fun. That's not cool. <laughs> you you find yourself in a hole real quick. Yeah, no, for sure. That's kind of how it is on some land I hunt up here. Is we'll have bears coming through. In the warmer months, they'll, you know, kind of stay on the property. They'll dig they dig into my trash. I bet I've picked up trash out of my yard eight or ten times this summer. But now they're gone. I mean, they – we probably – we didn't have 20. Uh, but I, we probably had five or six different bears. And, you know, they hit my parents' trash. They'd get my trash. They'd hit my aunts. You know, we all live kind of in the same area. And yeah, they they'd go on a rampage one night and tear into our trash, you know. And of course, they'd eat eat the deer food too, and you know, and that's elite. You can't even if you saw one come out on that feeder, you can't shoot it over bait. And I I know what happens. I'm sure people do it, but uh, yeah. And that's like you said, the DNR. I feel like something will have to happen eventually because you know baiting is legal for deer, but it's illegal for bears, and I'm not sure. There may there there may be a biological reason as to why and why they decided to do that, but it's like we don't have an issue of you know not enough bears. Anybody you talk to is like they don't just have one every now and again. It's like they have they have a lot of bears. Oh um, yeah. So I, so like you, said, I feel like the D, I feel like something will happen. Maybe not next year, but I feel like something I, will happen. I had two different bears over the summer with geo collars on them. You know, and that's a that's a whole different. You know, if they're if they're bears without collars on them, that's cool. You know, whatever. But whenever they start getting collars on them, I'm like, all right, who who put these on things here? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's 
It, it's a pain in the ass. It, it really is. And it, like I said, it's a waste of time, waste of money. Uh, yep. Nobody up here wants to mess with them, as far as I know. Anybody I ask that wants to come kill a bear, they're going to be from Texas. They ain't got them out there, you know. <laughs> just a different ball game. Right. No, but that's uh, – bear's definitely a problem. And like I said, I hope, hopefully something will come about to make it easier on hunters and landowners. Like, I mean, like I said, our, our issue around here is mainly trash. I mean, they're a nuisance. No, they really are. Yeah, no, nah, they're a bad deal, man. Yeah, well, heck yeah, guys. Well, I have enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, thank y'all both for coming on. Uh, I've enjoyed t- talking about y'all's uh, different ventures, your trips, killing an elk out, out west, staying in a tent, almost dying on a four-wheeler, having a, a legit Mexican cowboy as your guide. Uh, I'm sure that, like I said, a lot of good stories there, so I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Bucktails Podcast.